If you have your Bibles, I want you to open it up to the book of Philippians. We'll be uh, in chapter 1, reading verses 27 through 30. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Um, I'm going to share a funny little story. Well, not really funny. It's actually my dream. But I want to share a story with you all as you're opening up your Bibles. Uh, So, Pastor Robbie, I don't know if you realize this, but about five years ago, when I first attended Desert Springs Community Church, uh, Pastor Steve was teaching through the book of Jonah. I was sitting right over here, and as Pastor Steve was teaching through the book of Jonah, I remember I, I, I was praying to God. I wasn't really paying attention to him, but... We, hey, uh, hey, hey, hey. Okay, I was going to say, like, that could be our little secret, but he's right there. Sorry, P.S. But I wasn't paying attention to him because I was, I was praying, and I was talking to God, and five years ago, I was sitting right over there in that section talking to God. My conversation with the Lord went a little something like this. God, how awesome would it be if one day you would give me the opportunity to come up here and to be able to exercise this gift that you have given me of preaching, communicating to Desert Springs, that I could show them that, that I love them, that I could show them that you love them, that I can encourage them and help uh, point them to you, Lord, through your word. How cool would it be if you had given me this opportunity? Lo and behold, five years later today, God has answered my prayer, and I'm living out this dream right now. So this is awesome. All right, so I do realize uh, if it is your first time visiting us today, you're probably wondering, what does that mean for me? Now, let me tell you what that means for you. If it's your first time visiting us today, um, that means that God has been working in my heart for the last five years to prepare a powerful, prolific, I can't even think of any other adjective to use other than amazing message for you, hopefully to engage with you and encourage you today. And that's what we're going to be doing uh, today. So I'm really excited. I'm very excited. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, again, reading verses 27 through 30. So what it says, verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for this opportunity just to um, read and teach from your word. Lord, I pray that you would use this to inspire us to go out and to live on mission for you. I pray that this would be encouraging and that this would uh, be edifying to the church. So God, we give this to you in Jesus' name. And everybody say, amen, amen. Have, have any of you ever been stereotyped before? Uh, growing up, I'd been stereotyped really most of my life. And I remember, I remember specifically uh, once, one moment when I was stereotyped a few years ago from one of my friends. They came up to me and they said, Dwight, you're so lucky to be black. And I looked at him and I was like, yeah, I know that, but why, why do you say that? And my friend looks and they're like, Dwight, you don't, you don't understand. What does Siri has to say to me? I'm sorry, my, Siri's talking to me right now. No, Siri, don't talk in the name of Jesus. All right, so anyway, <laughs> my friend, 
he looks at me and is like, you're so lucky to be black. And I was like, yeah, I know, but what do you mean by that? And they, they, then they begin to go on, and they're like, you don't understand. You guys have Will Smith. Like, it's a team thing. And I was like, I don't, I don't get it. What are you talking about? And then they go on to say, no, Dwight, you don't understand. Black people, they never age. And I remember I looked at my friend, and I was like, okay. All the while, I'm thinking to myself, God, please let this be true, right? Like, God, please, please, oh, please, oh, please let this be true. I hope that when I'm in my 80s, I look the same today than I do up there. The older I get, the more I realize this, this truth, though, is that we have stereotypes for everything, everyone, right? And it wasn't until I became a middle school pastor that I realized that, that we also have stereotypes for pastors. Um, growing up, and it, well, since being a pastor, I've come to the realization that uh, Really, I've been stereotyped as not having struggled with sin. It's almost like as soon as you become a pastor, you no longer struggle with any sin whatsoever. Getting mad, road rage, none of that is, is, is even within the realm of possibilities. You're some pro-Bible uh, genius. Can I be honest with you guys today? Um, I actually haven't read through the entire Bible. I figured I'd wait until I got married to read through uh, Songs of Solomon. So it's... <laughs> Just being honest. But this is the best one yet. When you become a pastor, you then become a master evangelist who no longer struggles with sharing their faith. Honestly, I struggle with sharing my faith. See, I struggle with sharing my faith because I have this fear of being marginalized, this fear of being boxed in or even misunderstood for what I believe. Today, if we were all honest, I truly believe that I'm not the only one here in this room that struggles with that as well. See, one reason why I believe we struggle with this is because to live on mission means to experience a level of uncomfortability to suffer for the gospel. Thankfully, we're going to be reading today a passage of scripture that God has something to say about that. See, the church of Philippi lived in a culture that was known for its comfortable lifestyle. They enjoyed many luxuries, like being exempt from having to pay heavy taxes, having special military protection, and even being uh, excused from certain military services. Oh, I probably should add in there, their community, their culture, was a huge community that was made up of retired soldiers, retired Roman soldiers. So in other words, much like us today, culture of the Philippians, or the Philippi, uh, or the city of Philippi, was a city of comfort. However, as the gospel began to spread all throughout Philippi, Christians were beginning to experience scrutiny and persecution for what they believed. Now, whether the church of Philippi knew this or not, they were approaching a crossroads, the same crossroads that you and I are presented with today, to embrace suffering for the gospel, or to pursue a life of comfort and security. God, knowing that this is a difficult decision for us to make, shares two points that he wants us to know and one act that he wants us to do. Very first point is this, that suffering is a gift. In Philippians 1.29, it says this, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. One observation that I made from this passage, boom, sorry. One observation that I made from this passage is this. 
is that the word granted means to give freely or to bestow. Now, if the last time you've heard the word bestow is in a Lord of the Rings movie, much like myself, you're in good company because I had to look the word up. The word bestow means to confer or present an honor, right, or gift. It's almost as if what Paul is communicating in this passage is something along the lines of this. For you have been given a gift for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. If you're wondering what Bible translation that is, that's the Dwight translation right up there. But that suffering is a gift. It's a gift to be embraced. Now, within the Crocker family, um, I I honestly believe this is every family, but just to be safe, I'm going to say my family. Uh, Within the Crocker family, whenever you're giving or receiving a gift, there is an unspoken expectation. The unspoken expectation is this. If you're giving a gift, you're giving a gift that is something someone wants or something that someone needs. Make sense? And if you're receiving a gift, the unspoken expectation is that it's something that I really need. So whatever is in this box is something that I really need or it's something that I want. And when God presents to us the gift of suffering, he's giving us both, actually. Have any of you guys ever prayed, uh, God, I want to look so much like you. I want to look like your son. Jesus, I want opportunities to go out and to share my faith. God, help me to share my faith. What does that look like? And one of the ways that God answers that prayer is through the gift of suffering. I don't know if any of you guys have ever prayed to God and you've asked the prayer uh, or you've prayed the prayer, God, I, I don't know where you're at. I want to be close to you. How can, I, how can I be close to you? God oftentimes can answer our prayers of that by presenting to us the gift of suffering for the sake of the gospel. See, suffering for the sake of the gospel is a gift to be embraced. I met up with uh, a pastor friend, Pastor Robbie, a couple weeks ago, and he was giving me points and tips on uh, how to prepare this message and how to preach an effective message. And in us meeting, Robbie begins to talk to me about uh, a friend that he had and a conversation that he had with his friend. This conversation actually really impacted me. It's something I'll probably carry through the rest of my life and into my deathbed. It's so encouraging that I want to share it with you all today. Robbie begins to share the story of a conversation that he has with his friend, and they're catching up, and in the midst of them talking through life, and, and Robbie's explaining what's going on in his life, and he begins to find out what's going on in his friend's life. He finds out that his friend's wife actually has this uh, debilitating physical condition that came over her. Now, Robbie's friend and his wife were known for traveling. They were known for doing outdoor activities. They were known for being active. And up until the point that this uh, debilitating physical illness came upon her, they were no longer able to, to go and do any of those activities that they once were able to do. It actually made it difficult to go to church. It made it difficult for Robbie's friend's wife to uh, go to the grocery store. Their entire lives were flipped upside down. And in the moment, Robbie is trying to be empathetic. And he's talking to his friend and saying, man, I'm sorry, that, that stinks, that sucks. I'm so sorry that this has happened to you. And Robbie's friend looks back at him and he says, hey, Robbie, it's, it's okay. Robbie's like, yeah, yeah I, I, I know it's okay. But he's like, no, 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 listen, like, it's okay. It's one thing that God is teaching us right now. Is God is teaching my wife and I to love this world less and less, and to desire heaven more and more. See, 
a gift, another gift of embracing uh, suffering is it reminds us of our true home, heaven. And isn't that a desire for all of us today is that, is that we would be reunited with our creator, that we would be in his presence, that we would desire heaven so much more that the love that we have for this world would just grow less and less and less. When we embrace the gift of suffering, we're reminded of the fact that heaven is our true home, and it can be encouraging. See, suffering for the gospel is a gift to be embraced. Another point that God wants you to know about suffering is that suffering connects us. Suffering connects us. When we embrace suffering for the gospel, we find that it connects us to one another and also to our creator. This is what Philippians 1.30 has to say. But I'm going to read verse 29 to give it a little bit more context. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. See, what the Apostle Paul is talking about, when he wrote this letter to the church of Philippi, he was in prison. His freedom was restricted. And one of the points that Paul is, is making within this passage is he's saying, hey, I have been suffering for the sake of the gospel. And now you, as you're suffering, as you're being scrutinized, as you're being persecuted for the gospel, now you're able to share in the same sufferings of me. We're sharing in the same conflict. And what he's communicating is to the church, when you embrace the gift of suffering, you begin to belong to something that's so much bigger than yourselves. Isn't that amazing to think that when we embrace the gift of suffering for Christ, that we can begin to belong to something that's bigger than ourselves? Life is no longer about us, but it's about Jesus and his mission and what he has for us. And when you and I accept that gift of suffering, we're connected to one another and realizing that we're belonging to something bigger than us. We're also connected to our creator. 1 Peter Uh, 4.13 says this, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. And it's awesome to think that when we embrace the gift of suffering, that we're also, uh, we're, we're, we're connecting ourselves with our Lord, with our creator, and it gives us a, a way to relate with Jesus in a way that we never would be able to outside of suffering for the gospel. It's awesome. See, when you and I embrace the gift of suffering, it, it allows us to relate with Jesus on a different level. I can, I can only imagine what heaven will be like when we get there, right? And, and if you and I decide to embrace this gift of suffering for the sake of the gospel, we're standing before Jesus and we're saying, Jesus, I did so much for you. I, I, I was rejected from my family for you. I was rejected from other people for you. People thought I was crazy going out and telling them about your love and about what you have done for all of humanity. I lived my life to bring honor, worth, and, and, and value to you, Lord. Like, I gave all of this to you, God. I did this for you because I love you. I can only imagine Jesus' response. I don't know exactly what it'd be like, but I imagine it being like this. I love you too, son. I love you too, my daughter. I embrace suffering for you. I went to the cross for you. And then there's this level of connection that we can have with our creator that we would never be able to have 
apart from embracing suffering for the sake of the gospel. This last point that I have for you guys, it's not directly related to the text, but I think it's too important to pass up. And it's this idea that suffering produces passion. Suffering produces passion. When you and I suffer for the gospel, we become more passionate because it becomes more real to us. And thinking about this, I began to realize that we're reminded, when you and I suffer for the gospel, we are reminded of what we do believe and not what we don't. We're having to lean on what we do know, and we're forgetting all of the things that we don't know. What I do know is that heaven is real. What I do know is that Jesus is preparing a place for me. What I do know is that Jesus loves me so much, and he's right here with me in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the persecution, and I know that I can continue to push on. Why? Because he is leading me. He is guiding my steps. I am in the will of God. It's forcing us to lean on what we do know as opposed to what we don't know. I'm extremely um, comforted and inspired by our brothers and sisters in uh, Sri Lanka. Uh, Recently I heard about the bombing that, that happened on Easter Sunday. If you guys hadn't heard, there was a bombing that went off on Easter Sunday as our brothers and sisters in Christ were uh, attending a worship service in Sri Lanka. Many people lost their lives. And upon hearing what had happened uh, in Sri Lanka, I was encouraged and inspired by the fact that they did not renounce their faith. But I've actually been hearing of them pursuing Jesus even more, still meeting, still getting together even more. And another point of, uh, of, of suffering for the gospel or suffering, embracing the gift of suffering is this, is that when you and I are persecuted, misunderstood, or marginalized for suffering for the gospel, and we stand firm in what we know to be true, it can inspire other people and produce passion in their lives as well. Our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka, they have inspired me. When I look at what they've gone through, when I look at the suffering that they endured, I think to myself, if they can do that over there, I can easily have an awkward five-minute conversation with someone here at Starbucks, uh, for the sake of the gospel. If they're willing to die for what they believe, I can easily have that hard conversation with, with my family member about Jesus and what I believe about Jesus. See, when you and I embrace the gift of suffering, we can inspire other people to do so as well, and we can produce passion in their lives. God can produce passion in their lives in doing so. So I know a lot of you guys may be thinking, Dwight, this all sounds great, but what are we supposed to do with all of this information? Really, it's just this one point. Live worthy of the gospel. Did you know, Desert Springs, that that is God's will for you and for your life? It's to live worthy of the gospel. Philippians 1.27 says this, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Here the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church. He's saying, hey, I want you guys to live worthy of the gospel. And then he talks about his physical presence or his absence. He is in prison. Again, mind you, remember that. He's in prison and he's writing this letter to them. But when I read what Paul is saying, I can't help but think about Jesus and Jesus being absent from us right now. Jesus is in heaven. He's preparing a place for for us. And I can't help but think to myself, 
What if Jesus was saying to us, Desert Springs Community Church, hey, guys, whether I'm physically here with you guys or, or whether I'm still gone away preparing a place for you, I want you to live worthy of the gospel. I want you to make that your life's goal is to live in a way that would help bring people back to me. So how do we do that? How do we live worthy of the gospel? Well, one, we allow our actions to reflect the gospel. Now, for some of you, this may mean that you have to make uh, a hard moral or ethical uh, stand at your job. If your boss or your employer is encouraging you to cut some corners, maybe lie, maybe cheat some customers, and you're having to say, no, that's not right. I don't believe in that. That's not, uh, that actually goes against my convictions. I can't do that. I'm sorry. That might mean that you're having to take that stance. Or it may mean that you're having to take the stance of getting to know your neighbor, right? The person that lives right next door to you and just loving on them a little bit by just trying to build a relationship with them and getting to know their names. For others of you, it may mean to serve in in the church. But allow your actions to reflect the gospel. Jesus was a perfect example of this. Jesus allowed his actions to help uh, reflect the the message that he was giving to all of us and to the people of his time. The second point is this, to simply share the gospel. Oftentimes, you and I are tempted to do just one thing. We're tempted to either uh, live out the gospel and to try to have our actions reflect the gospel solely, or we decide to take the stance of, I'm just going to tell everyone uh, the gospel. I'm going to tell everyone about Jesus. But our lives aren't reflecting that truth. See, in order for you and I to live worthy of the gospel, we have to do both. And to share the gospel, oftentimes people ask me, they say, Dwight, I don't exactly know how to share the gospel. Where do I start? Oftentimes, I tell them the way that I learned uh, best, which was just go for it. Just try. I mean, that's all that God's asking you to do. I mean, it's not like there's a perfect approach. I grew up in a home where I was the only Christian, the first Christian in my family as as a believer. And I had to witness to my mom, my grandmother, and my brother. And it was very awkward and very uncomfortable. But one thing that was encouraging was as I was trying to figure out how to share the gospel, God was just telling me, Dwight, just start somewhere and I'll guide you through the process. So I did. And having started, I'm encouraged to share with you, or it's encouraging for me to share with you all that my mom has come to faith in Christ. And my grandmother has left the Jehovah Witness Church. Just start somewhere. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's going to be messy because people are messy. But that's okay. In closing, I want to encourage you guys to imagine with me. Just dream a little bit. Could you imagine how much pain, hunger, unrest, and feelings of bondage could be fixed if we all adopted this mindset? If we all banded together behind the truth of living living a life that's worthy of the gospel. Could you imagine how many issues that are in the Goodyear community that could be fixed if you and I just just bonded around that truth and actually tried? I believe that we could transform the Goodyear community. I believe that Desert Springs Community Church could be a beacon of light, even reaching outside of Goodyear to Surprise, to Buckeye, to Verado, to Avondale, to Phoenix, to Tucson, to Utah, to Nicaragua. 
God's will for you, church, is to live worthy of the gospel.